0: Welcome to the first podcast hosted by the Association for Women in Cryptocurrency, sponsored by Bracewell LLP. Today's topic is The Ugly Truth About Crypto, Decrypting Gender Disparity. The association is a global professional network of women and male allies around the world who advocate for the equitable inclusion of women in the future of digital finance, blockchain technology, and Web3. The views of the speakers are their own and do not necessarily represent those of the association, its sponsors, or its board of directors. This podcast is our opportunity to showcase the incredible work being done by our members around the world in the crypto, blockchain, and Web3 industries. I'm your host, Amanda Wick, founder and CEO of the Association for Women in Cryptocurrency, and I'm incredibly excited to not only be hosting our first podcast, but also to be talking with two incredible women in the industry. Lily, Tara, I won't do you justice because you're both incredible. So introduce yourselves and tell the world who you are. Lily, let's
1: start with you. Hi, everybody. My name is Lily. I am a CEO, currently CEO of Cat Labs, which is a startup that is fighting crypto crime or building tools to fight crypto crime. And in my previous life, I was a special agent with Department of Justice, DEA, and I pioneered one of the early task forces for uh, cryptocurrency-enabled crimes that focused exclusively on crypto and dark web-enabled crimes. And just last year, I was the lead agent on the case that took down Hydra Market, which was the largest dark web market in the world, and accounted for about 80% of all cryptocurrency dark web transactions. And now uh, just Left the government and building a startup. Just left the government and changing the world. That's amazing. <laughs> Tara, let's go to
2: you. Hi, everyone. Um, I'm also fighting crypto crime. So, a nice common theme here. So, I'm previously elliptic, where I headed up technical advisory and been in crypto now for about eight years, which feels like a lifetime. Before that, I was in the world of TradFi and then dotted around a number of crypto startups. I'm soon going to be in the institutional staking world, heading up product uh, for TwinStake. And outside of that, I have a crypto book, a crypto game, a crypto advent calendar. And you can find me uh, writing, thinking and dreaming about all sorts of crypto metaverse, crypto crime topics.
0: I have to say, I really want to see the advent calendar. I have a godson who is obsessed with them. And the idea of a crypto advent calendar is quite possibly the coolest thing I've ever heard. So very excited by both of you. And Tara, you you point out something that I didn't realize, which is all of us have this background in crypto crime. I think think it's a, a common thread about why we both love the industry and we love the potential for what it can do. But I think we've all seen also the negative that can be done with it. And so I think it makes us very objective And nuanced, like in our feelings about it, and I've noticed that between all of our posts, is that we all see the good, but we're all very cognizant of the bad. And I and I think coming from that shared perspective gives us like a lot in common when we're talking about this. But today we're talking about a different aspect, which I know all three of us are really passionate, which is the issue of gender disparity in crypto. And I. I do want to jump right in and talk about, I think, maybe a spicy topic first, which is the connection between crypto toxic masculinity and something called the manosphere. And Tara, I want to start with you because you recently wrote a report titled Crypto and the Manosphere exploring the overlap between toxic masculinity and digital assets. Now, I know you wrote that in your personal capacity, I think while you were at Elliptic, a blockchain analytics company that many of us are quite familiar with. But can you tell us like what was the impetus for that? What made you write the report and look into that issue?
2: Yeah, definitely. So it wasn't actually any like trigger event where they a, a toxic male in the space that I was like, you know, I'm going to research into this. It was actually my twin sister who was actually secretly Gen Z. She's not a millennial at all. Like everything she does is watching like YouTube, like mega podcasts that take like four hours. And she's super plugged into that space. And she said to me a couple of months back, she was like, my gosh, I can't believe how many of the Manosphere guys are talking about crypto. And obviously I was like, what's a Manosphere? And so she kind of opened my eyes. (laughs) That that was literally my
0: question was what on earth is the manosphere? When you said that, I had heard cryptosphere, I had heard toxic masculinity, but manosphere was definitely new to me.
2: Exactly. And it was brand new to me. So I was like, send me some videos. I want to see what all this is about. And the term was actually defined in 2009. So it's a pretty old term. But what it encompasses is four groups within the kind of like toxic male system, very specifically. So it's an umbrella term. And it's worth saying here, it's not the kind of bro culture, like this is four really specific groups. So it's men's rights activists, and there's a lot of fantastic men's rights activists, but there's also a very like toxic branch of it, which is actually super against feminism, anti-female policies. So it's that branch of uh, the male rights activists. There's also men going their own way, and that's category of men who literally hate women. They think they're toxic. They don't want to be friends with them. They don't want marriage. You've then got the pickup artists, and these aren't like the kind of ugh, embarrassing guys you meet at a bar with. Like, hey, did you fall from heaven? No, it's not those kind of men. <laughs> well, whoa, whoa, wait, I think I've used that one. Let's 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 go gentle on that one. So. <laughs> well, luckily, it's not those kind of people. So it's um, the pickup artists that believe in things like negging, which is where you insult a woman to try and like bring her down. So oh, it's that yeah. kind of brand of pickup artists. And then it's a, a really kind of scary group called the incels, which are involuntary celibates. They believe that kind of women are conspiring against them, that they have a right to have sex with women and how dare they kind of take that away from them. So those four groups are under the term the manosphere. And it's really worth saying here, it's, it's really centered around hatred for women. So this isn't those men that are like, oh, women, yeah, they're a bit stupid the the comments you see the videos you watch and I've I've seen some horrific things and read some really awful things researching for the report and it's around hatred it's around inciting violence it's against seeing women as a uh, real like low class like some of the the quotes in my report are actually quite hard I think to read because it is pure hatred and so that's what we're kind of talking about with the manosphere and there's a growing group of manosphere influencers primarily slightly kind of the younger generation, very much millennial, Gen Z. There's a couple of like OG guys who are a bit older, but they're really prevalent on uh, TikTok, on YouTube, on Twitch, for instance. And as my kind of sister showed me, they're starting to like get into the crypto space. So what my report was doing was uh, an investigation into how exactly they're getting into crypto. Are they holding crypto? Are they doing crypto projects? Are they leading crypto courses? So in the report, I dig in and and we can maybe talk in a bit about all the various different touch points they have with crypto. But what was really scary is to see that they have huge followings, you know, millions and millions. And uh, in some cases, like people like Andrew Tate have billions of video watches. And what they're espousing is hatred against women. It's, It's really derogatory and really damaging. And then they're starting to get into the kind of crypto world and you think, my gosh, that's absolutely not the people that we want coming into the industry. It's not the views we want coming into the industry and and polluting those who maybe have crypto bro tendencies to start with, or maybe those that could be influenced that way. So yeah, that was very much the, the impetus for the report of just learning this word and being like, right, how big of a problem is this? I've got to investigate it.
0: I will say I don't usually talk about my past life in the last year that often, but there were shades of your report that talked about the overlap with hate groups and how it kind of blurs not just into issues with women, but also with race and homophobia and some other things. And the last year of my life, there that I spent on the Select Committee in the House, and that the, there was echoes of that. That was that was kind of terrifying. But but I will say. I was surprised when I read your report because that part of the industry seems very foreign to me in the sense of like I know about it. And I was a little bit thinking about crypto bro culture and where did it overlap with the manosphere. It feels like such a small sector of the industry that a lot of us, what I think of as professionals, don't really pay attention to because it's, it's like that Peter Pan syndrome area where they like all oh, don't want to grow up, right? And they just want to be little boys forever. But I feel like a lot of us spend time in like compliance and crime fighting and, and all of this stuff, and we're building real things and we're solving real problems. And that feels like like the previous version, like the, the the early iteration of crypto. But you, in your conclusions in the report, were really concerned that there is, in fact, a risk of, for lack of a better word, contagion between the manosphere and crypto. I definitely want to talk a little bit more about that because I feel like the naive part of me thinks that nobody takes that crowd seriously enough anymore for it to have... Actual risk of spreading, but you see that risk, yeah, definitely.
2: Because you've got, and I'm sure we've all come across them, right? Like I refer to them as the DeFi frat boys, like the hype, hype, hype. They, you know, you walk into a conference and they immediately like mansplain something to you that you could like, and and I enjoy like just ripping them to shreds on anything they say technically incorrect because my background is the kind of tech protocol level of things. So there's that kind of like group of people already in crypto. But what I worry about more is looking at the growth of the manosphere at large. There's huge kind of, I almost don't want to call it recruitment drive, but a lot of the disenfranchised youth, Gen Z kind of age coming in are really attracted by the hustle culture, entrepreneur. Uh, And that's actually one of the real challenging things when you look at the content that these Manosphere influencers are creating. A lot of it is really good advice. Like for instance, like, um, within the men going their own way, there is a really strong focus on mental health and they give great advice. Look after your mental health. Don't work too hard. Work-life balance. And you're like, yeah. And then they go, and well, women are evil. And you're like, uh, no. And so wait, that's wait, the what? challenge. That they like, yeah. yeah, they like interweave these narratives. And so if you think of like fresh and fit, for instance, so they do these podcasts all about working hard, you know, respect other guys, like loads of really like strong, like yeah. They do a podcast about money management where they teach you about taxes. They teach you about investing, and you're like, yeah. And then they also do that after dark podcast where they bring on a load of women. They essentially make them fight against each other. They're really derogatory. They have topics like where there's a couple of men and they'll talk about who's the fattest chick you've ever banged. Like really awful content, and they interweave it all. And the problem is, you've got young guys listening to the content and they can't extrapolate what's good advice from what's really toxic masculinity. And so that's why I'm really worried that we've got this band of young men primarily being taught that the women are awful alongside, you know, make sure you put money into your pension. And because they can't like tell the difference between them, they bring those views in. And so that's what I'm really worried about in the industry because I think we have, we have some really bad guys in the industry. Yeah. But like, I think maybe we've found fairly rarely come across them or at least i do i can put them in on one hand the really bad ones i don't like but it's this kind of influx i think we're going to see coming from the likes of these manifest influencers who are getting into crypto from their podcasts and their, their videos why does
0: it feel like what you just described is very effective brainwashing like when i read about kind of cult behaviors where it's like don't start with something negative Start with something positive and then just kind of weave in the end, you know, this is the horrible thing in here, surrounded by wonderful things. And I think that's the most terrifying thing. I also think that one of the areas that it seems risky to me in terms of like that crypto bro culture or maybe even the manosphere having an actual impact on the industry and not just being some YouTubers and crypto enthusiasts is venture capitalism, or some people call it VC culture. A couple of weeks ago, I was at a summit in Paris called the Investor Summit, where we talked about the horrifically low rates of venture funding for female founders globally, which I think globally, the number is at or below 2%. And it's even lower for people of color. It's even lower for women of color. And there's numerous studies showing the bias in VC funding in the process, the pitching process, the process that determine who gets funding. Lily, I know earlier you said you're the uh, CEO and founder of Cat Labs. You're VC funded. You've seen that process firsthand. I'm curious if any, if you're seeing any of this. Do you see issues in that sector that support Tara's conclusion and my concerns about manosphere contagion, for lack of a better term?
1: But do you see any parallels there? I think that for me. I had some issues, but there were enough investors out there. Thankfully, I had a good network and good mentors that were able to introduce me to many of the investors that are on my cap table now that don't succumb to the manosphere and have nothing to do with that world. And don't hold those kind of uh, preconceived notions or unconscious biases about women and, you know, when they're when they're hearing pitches. So I think it's um, for me, it was it, it wasn't that bad, but there were some issues that I experienced. For example, you know, some of the investors would ask me questions such as, well, how are you going to be a CEO and a mother at the same time? What are you going to do with your daughter? and it, it, they would never ask this of a man of course but it's it's one of those things that it's just so tone deaf and i just have to explain to them that i am a big bad special agent right now and my schedule right now is probably a lot crazier than any ceo that you ever you will ever know and i'm probably having to juggle but um i think uh, i think framing the issue is very important when you are trying to affect change here so i don't like to be extremely confrontational in these kinds of situations i like to i like to enact kind of like the socratic method if i have time or if the if the situation presents itself where i can actually ask questions and kind of reframe the the individual's state of mind and cause self-reflection on their part. So I think that's a kind of a better way of affecting change or changing someone's mind. Right. But a lot of times you just can't change someone's mind and you just move on. And uh, there are plenty of people out there that are, that are aware of unconscious biases and they actively try to fight them. And, you know, the investors on my cap table right now, I have, I have many Uh, I have, uh, I think, 12 right now investors in my cap table. And, uh, you know, they were all super supportive and both men and women. So it was. uh, Oh, that was going to be my next question. Are, Are there women on your cap table? Absolutely. Yes. Several women on the cap table.
0: And I'm curious, did you see any difference in terms of how like male versus female VC funders? Like, did you did you notice anything different in the process or the experience?
1: No, not really. One thing that I did notice, and this is something that I talk about a lot, and it's unfortunate, is that I actually got a lot more mentorship and support from men uh, during the fundraising process than I did from women. And especially from women that would promise and do a lot of lip service to helping other women, you know, being the champion for other women promising that they would introduce me to investors or they would do this and that, and it would never materialize. And it was kind of disappointing at the time. So I did notice that trend that I actually got a lot better mentorship with men, unfortunately, during uh, this process. So you know, it's, uh, yeah. you have to navigate, yeah. you, know, you have to navigate the process. You have to learn the game. And that's, uh, that's also on us on women, right? We have to, one of the main actually issues of, of why, of why women don't get funded as much is women have higher, there are higher expectations that are put on women. And it's actually also true with women and leadership of why women don't get promoted as much to senior leadership is because there are higher expectations of performance. And I saw this too, as you know, in in my previous job in a very, very, very male-dominated field, probably more than even tech, uh, right? In federal law enforcement, I saw this a lot where women tended to work like twice as hard just to get recognized for the work that they do because they had to basically prove themselves and overcome this notion that, oh, well, this is not really a woman's job. And to prove to me that it is a woman's job, you have to do, go above and beyond. So there was this kind of, you know background noise or i don't know i don't know how to put it in terms of just just this notion right that women aren't supposed to be here right to the point where actually i'll give you a, a crazy example when i was doing my pt test right with a physical fitness test uh, just to get hired the instructor that was administering my test told me that it's unfair that women have lower standards in physical fitness tests. For example, they have to do less push-ups, right? Or they have to run the mile yeah, in the less like time. Yeah, it's like slightly modified, right, right? Right. Yeah. You know, they said, because because we're doing the same job. So he was, and, and you know, this guy was very, very against just women being on the job. And that was and you can imagine i'm already nervous trying to take this test and he's telling me this like oh women aren't supposed to be here it's so unfair you know if they can't if they can't do the same physical activities as men they shouldn't be on this job you know meanwhile after you'd finish the academy we never get tested for our physical fitness and everybody gets fat anyways
0: <laughs> oh, you know <laughs> I do want to pick on one thing that you said, draw out something that you said in there, which is something that comes up over and over at our association events, which might be a topic even spicier than we were talking with Tara, which is that we don't talk enough about how women can be an even bigger part of the problem than we than we like to admit, than we talk about. I know you and I have, have had these conversations, but that That issue of women not only failing to support other women, but often actively sabotaging them, that is one of the issues that we hear from women at association events around the world. And I mean, across all cultures. You can be from Southeast Asia, you could be from Africa, you could be from the United States. The single common theme that we hear is that, a fact, for most women is that their worst professional experiences are often from other women and men are actually some of their biggest supporters. I know this was true for me. It sounds like it was true for you, or at least the, in, in certain situations. Tara, I'm I'm curious, like because I know Lily and I probably align on that, but would you agree, disagree, like what your experience has been with that?
2: So from my personal experience, I've come across some of the most incredible women in this space. Like I've got a group of people from. Okay. Electric, well, you, work, like, with
0: you well, exactly. work with Liat Shetrit. So yeah. that's not entirely fair because when you work with an angel, like, yes, it obviously is going <laughs> to bias your view of the most incredible women in the world. So.
2: Exactly. I mean, and she's like, you know, one of the people I'm thinking of, we've got this this group who, you know, we meet all the time. We're like each other's hype people. If anyone ever said to me, like, oh, I need someone in crypto who works in HR, I'm like, you need to speak to Lily Fish. Like, there's just this group of women who are just <laughs> yes. all about helping each other. And I, I think I've been lucky by the sound of it compared to some of your experiences. But I genuinely, I'm sitting here struggling to think of a woman I've come across who I'm like, oh, she, she was like actively out to get people. The only bad experiences I can think of in crypto are with with men. I can't think of any with women. Well, that
0: actually gives me a lot of hope, but I will will say it also does explain, I think, some of the reactions that we see at the association. So some women, because they've had the experiences that Lily and I have, they are so excited when they find a group of women who... So we have two rules in the association. We say this at all of our events. The first rule is no mean girls which sometimes they have to translate into foreign languages, which is hilarious because mean girls as a like concept doesn't necessarily translate. Um, but once you explain what it is, like mujeres malas, then they're like, oh, okay, I know what you're talking about. Like that phenomenon, right? So, so, but that's the first rule. And the second rule is whether you're male, female, we want you so long as you are You believe in supporting women and equitable inclusion of women in the future of digital finance and and militantly advocating for it. And I think what's amazing is that when women find that space, and it sounds like you found that space, which is awesome, because so many of us have that issue in our past it it does lead us to that it it you it feels different when we say this at association events it's so funny because i tell people when i say the no mean girls rule two things happen i look around the room and there's women who are like yes all right and then sometimes there's women who are like and you just see this eye shifting and i'm like oh found one okay you know i know because like like Lily's smiling because she knows we know who they are like they know who they are we know who they are right like
1: That's the first step. The first, actually, the fact that they know who they are, that means they're not in denial, which is, which is a first step is acceptance, right? (laughs) Maybe, maybe they're on their way to change. (laughs) I, I like to say,
0: look, I want all the Regina Georges after they've been hit by a bus. I just don't want Regina George before she's been hit by a bus.
2: Love that.
0: (laughs) I think everybody's capable of change, but at the same time, we all know what happens, like especially if multiple of them get together and they start a click and it's just toxic. And you see this in some women's groups where there's like a queen bee and there's women. And this is very real. Like it's, there's a reason there was a movie and a musical. Like this is a very real aspect of female culture. And, And it's funny because we just had events in Madrid. We had this incredible brunch and drinks but, but the brunch was really kind of like a, the, the session where we talked about building a chapter there. And culturally, the women were like, this is this is very real. Globally, you can go anywhere in the world. And and when you find women who support other women, something magical happens because we talked about historically, actually, it was interesting why was this not the case? And if you go back hundreds of years, it's because women had to compete with each other for the resource that was men because we were owned. We were literally property and we competed with each other to be owned by the best owner, right? So literally hundreds of years of baking competition for quote limited resources. And undoing that and undoing like the cycle of that, it it requires effort. Like I find that you you kind of have to consciously talk about it and think about it. It seems like we should be hundreds of years past that. But frequently the reality is they're they're not.
1: Yes. But that's the thing. We have to be introspective in terms of, okay, what is it that's driving us? And is uh, is this drive necessary in our day and age? Because our instincts don't necessarily catch up with reality in a timely manner. And it's the same, it's, it's also very, very true for men, right? Men, because they want the best females, right? They want the best mates and the most, you know, the, the highest number of mates, uh, they are always in pursuit of power and resources. So that goes back to the, uh, Tara, your, your report and the Manosphere and why the Manosphere world got into crypto is, well, it was because of the bull market. And I think the bear market is going to solve this problem because crypto was fast money. And men are attracted to, to that creation of wealth, right? Instinctually. So I think that being introspective and knowing what drives you, both for men and women, and actually having that power to change those drives
2: based on your reality and based on the, the world we live in now is is very important. So in terms of that introspective um, and kind of like thinking about your almost like animalistic urges, what's really interesting when you listen to a lot of these manosphere Kind of content producers is that they're basically saying, don't fight that, that's who you are, so when they talk about you know men wanting younger women and they talk about this idea that when you reach twenty six that's basically your peak after that you you know you're done as a woman um and that they're basically telling men like just embrace that, embrace the animalistic tendencies that you have, and that's actually one of the really damaging things about it is that they're just kind of saying to these like men become Neanderthals again, and then they're also saying to women. You can't fight your animalistic urges, but your animalistic urges are that you're, you know, sexually promiscuous and that's bad, that you just crave being pretty because you're simple, you're less intelligent, like all of those kind of really negative buckets of it. So whilst I think introspection can be really good, actually what I see about the introspection, the manosphere is really, really bad.
0: Well, so I, here's where I would challenge that. And I, because I find this interesting in that recently I read this incredible book called The Power. I think it was by, uh, what's her name? Naomi Alderman. Don't quote me on that. It came out like six years ago, I want to say. So I'm a little behind the curve. They made it into a show on Amazon Prime. But what I find absolutely fascinating about this book is that basic premise all across the world. One day, 15 year old girls develop an organ that gives them the ability to electrocute people which suddenly shifts the balance of power between men and women. And all of a sudden, women are literally just as empowered as men. And what's fascinating about the book is that what I love is that she talks about how a lot of the things that we say are, quote, gendered. Like what you were just saying, right? Like the, the instinct this it's actually not male. It's empowerment. It's that historically one gender has, in fact, been empowered and has taken most of the power and what you do with power is actually the question like with great power you know that expression from uh, uncle ben with great power comes great responsibility and the question is what do the genders do with that responsibility in her book it's fascinating how she's fiction obviously sorry i don't know why i said that as if someone around the world is getting this growing this this organ but it's fascinating because she really breaks down the difference between what we think is gendered. And this pisses me off all the time when people say that certain skills or traits are masculine or feminine, when in fact, they're just skills or traits. And we can talk about how society has disincentivized or incentivized those. That probably could have been its own podcast. But I think it's—I think we just have to be really careful when we talk about, and especially when we use the terms masculine and feminine, for things that are just traits right? Like assertiveness, aggressiveness, confidence, self-assuredness. I would not say any of these things are inherently masculine or feminine. They're skills or traits that you can have, whether you're male or female. So there's,
2: there's literally, there's literally a fresh and fit podcast with, uh, it's an after dark one. So with a bunch of women on there as well, where they discuss this and they have a number of women who are very much aligned with one view, which is like Women are X, men are X. There's some women, and they tend to get kicked off the podcast. I don't know why, uh, who have the view which is more aligned with you, Amanda. Um, and then they have a couple of men on the podcast who obviously all believe that men are men and women aren't. Uh. Um, and it's really interesting listening to that. And I'm really hard to listen to it, certainly with the views I have, which I think are much more aligned uh, with what you're saying, Amanda. But it's, it's really interesting. This is a debate in the manosphere as well. Like they're having these debates. Their conclusions are, of course, like all the good traits in the world are dominated and naturally owned by men and all the the bad ones are owned by women. But, you know, a lot of these conversations, and this is what I come back to before about a lot of the Manosphere content is like interesting some of it's good advice and good content, but then it's interwoven with a lot of this misogyny and toxic masculinity. And that's where it was, you know, researching this was really interesting because I listened to podcasts where I was like jarred by some of the stuff they said was just like, wow. And then I listened to other stuff and I was like, oh, that is a really good debate. And then, you know, the influence comes in with all women are hoes and you're like, oh, okay, they're, and there finishes <laughs> the interesting debate. <laughs> <Yeah>. Wait, what? <laughs>
1: Yeah, uh, you know, just to challenge you guys a little bit, and not too much because I do align with most of what you just said, Amanda. The only thing I don't align is, is I do uh, believe that there are traits that are more masculine and more feminine, or that women possess more often and men possess more often. But it doesn't necessarily mean that a woman can't possess those more. Traditionally masculine traits, right? So like, for example, myself, I, I think that I have more masculine traits than probably the average woman. But I think that things, you know, there is biology and we have hormones and there are, you know, there, there are certain things in our bodies that dictate certain temperaments or the proclivity towards a certain temperament. For example, women have more connections between the left and the right hemisphere. It helps them multitask more. I mean, there are certain things that are just biologically true, and it doesn't necessarily mean that there aren't men that can multitask. Of course, there are. It's just kind of like an average. And we, I feel like we can't deny this, and we can't say, no, 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 we're just 100% everything Just blank slate, every, you know, it just depends on your personality. Like there are some biological drivers for certain certain traits. Aggressiveness, for example, you know, testosterone is responsible a lot for aggressiveness as well, you know, the the trait of aggressiveness. And I think the issue is here is that we tend to glorify traditionally more masculine traits and say, okay, well, these traits are the ones that are going to make you successful. Whereas a lot of the traditional feminine traits are not being glorified, which I think are extremely important to emphasize when we talk about power. I get what you're saying there. I think one of the things
0: I think the thing that I would pick out of that and 100 percent agree with is that we need to emphasize like the value of certain skills and traits more. One of the things that was really interesting at the investor summit that came up to your point was that they have done these biological studies and women and men, like their brains are literally different, right? And they found that men tend to be tunnel thinkers and women tend to think more in like webs and connections and kind of like seeing different possible connections between people. And you could see right where for a CEO or a founder, that would be incredibly useful. And the discussion was, well, if the pitch process as we currently see it for VCs is currently incredibly limited in terms of the skills that it assesses, right? In terms of, okay, you get X amount of time, you pitch your company, right? And to a certain extent, it rewards a lot of narcissism, self-assurance, bravado, right? Like certain things where you're kind of like, okay, you talk the talk. And for, yes, for some VCs, there's probably a lot of, you know, a lot more exploration there, but, but generally like the, the average pitch process values a very limited set of traits. And so their point, which was interesting was, well, what if we change the pitch process and made it so that it recognized like questions that talked about your ability to empathize or longer, like exposure, like taking a walk together, like, like basically changing the process to recognize that there are other skills and traits that would make you a good leader long term, other than just this ability to convince. People to give you money in like a, a five minute period, right? Which is insanely narrow. I will say one of the things that I heard from VCs because I've talked to some of them on the side under Chatham House rules because that question of how is it on earth that we don't have more funding than two percent, you know, of women globally? Obviously, I think everybody I've talked to has agreed that there's a pipeline problem. We need more women with. Entrepreneurial spirits who are willing to take risks. And that's a whole nother discussion we could have about women and how they assess risk and why more women aren't willing to kind of start companies, start things, right? But there is, and I've talked with VCs about this, sometimes a substance problem where women founders don't have those skills of confidence, self assuredness, empowerment. And I'm not even talking about the narcissism or kind of like the bravado, I'm talking about the things that a person would need to feel in order to feel comfortable giving another human money and investing in them. Now, Lily, I've watched you. You're a force as a founder. You've successfully raised what your seed round of $4.3 million in a bear market is a feat for Cat Labs. And some of the VCs I know would say, okay, look at her. Of course, she raised money. She's a baller, former DEA, doesn't take no for an answer. I forget the term you used earlier, Hotshot DEA agent. If all women were like her during the pitch, the number would skyrocket up from 2%. I have to say, I struggle sometimes because I don't disagree with that. Like to your point earlier, sometimes I think, and I think Tara mentioned this too, we're, some people say, oh, we're required to be exceptional, but there are some things that I'm like, but some people would say those are fundamental things. You need confidence, self assuredness, empowerment. And I know there's bias. I'm not saying there's not bias. And I'm sure there are women who have those things that are not getting funded. But I saw some of the women who were founders at that conference had conversations with some of them and they didn't have those skills. They didn't present themselves that way. And I wouldn't have given them money, which I felt terrible about. But I think we we really have to talk about that. Right. I mean, you can't can't have people who say like, well, women should be, you have to have substance there. Right. I mean, maybe I'm I don't know. Maybe I'm just being too harsh. And sometimes I am. But I, I, I sometimes look and say, and I know I'm guilty of this when a woman gets up and doesn't crush it sadly she makes it harder for everyone else because everyone will watch that and say well the woman like that was their token woman and the woman <laughs> didn't perform so that's why I don't know that we should have women in, you know, speaking in a conference. I've actually heard, I've actually had men say this. Meanwhile, I've seen like a lot of lackluster white men kind of get up and do average or below average performances. And nobody afterwards says, I don't know that we want to have white men in a conference again. Do we like, I, (laughs) like Tari, you laugh, but literally when I say this to people,
1: some men are like, oh yeah, no, that is, uh, um,
2: yeah.
1: For women, the stakes are high because we, when we succeed, we represent women. And actually, uh, so I, I was I was going through this in in my previous job as an agent. I was mentoring a new agent who was a female, and she was making a lot of mistakes. She was mi- messing up a lot. She you know she would she would like wear flip flops to surveillance, or she would forget her handcuffs when we would go arrest people, things like that, all the time. And I would try to mentor her, and I would tell her, look, you can't afford to do this. You have you literally have to be perfect for all of us, because if you are not perfect, it's going to reinforce the belief that women don't belong here. If a man forgets his handcuffs, nobody's going to think twice. If a woman forgets her handcuffs, that's it. Oh, yeah, it's because women shouldn't be doing this. Of course, she forgot her handcuffs. You know, so it's a it's it's a very pervasive problem, I think, in, in, in a lot of in a lot of industries, male dominated industries. And, you know, we have to change that mindset. We have to change that mindset. And we have to do it in a very structured way, right? Psychologically. Yeah. I agree with that. I will say I
0: struggle with that. I, I catch myself. I don't know if, you, if this has ever happened to you guys, but I catch myself where I'm literally judging a woman for exactly that reason, because I know I watch them stand up at a conference and, and if they bomb, I think of all the conference planners that I'm going to talk to who are going to say, well, we had this one woman, right? Cause exactly what you said. But at the same time, I know that for, you know, women who come after like for, for true equality and, and for it to be equitable, women should be allowed to be average and subpar, just like men. We, you know, there's guys running around in flip flops out on surveillance and forgetting their handcuffs, and they're going to do just fine. And there's a part of me that wants to say, but women should be allowed to be subpar too. But to your point, I know the reality of what happens. And I find myself in this constant internal struggle of wanting to both make the situation better in the broken game that we're playing, while also simultaneously trying to fix the rules of a broken game. And it is a constant cognitive dissonance and struggle that I face. And I'm curious, do you, like, really, it sounds like you, I don't, do do you guys feel that? Like, do you ever have that experience? Because I'm with you. I just find myself struggling to be like, yeah, I want you to be below average and still succeed. I just don't, that's just not
1: the world we live in right now. I think the trick here is to, and I use this all the time in my daily life and business, is to know the rules of the game, know the rules of the current game, And know how to play the current game perfectly right and this is this is where my mentorship to this woman comes in i i'm not going to tell her you should be allowed to be average no i'm going to tell her you can't mess up you have to be perfect okay but at the same time i go to the men and i say look you've forgotten your handcuffs right it's okay that she forgot her handcuffs you've forgotten your handcuffs so you have to play both sides you have to know the rules of the game and play the current game while in the background making slow and efficient change, uh, right? And and change those mindsets and change those, uh, reveal a lot of the cognitive biases that that we live by, unfortunately. So just playing both sides, I think, is, is very important here. You have to kind of be a little conniving.
2: Yeah, I had a, a friend say it to me one, and I don't know where she got the, the phrase from, but it was... Well, no, know we have equality when useless women are in charge or incompetent women, I think it was. And I was like, oh, that's such a good way of phrasing it, right? Because like, as we're talking about here, you know, you've got a load of men that would forget their handcuffs or men that would mess up on stage. And that's, that's allowed. It's fine. You're kind of like, oh, yeah, of course it happens. The moment you have a woman mess up, it's like, oh, no, oh, my gosh. So I think that will be in almost a positive we almost kind of want to say yeah kind of it's okay to keep messing up because that will be a mark of equality when the women that mess up are somehow leading stuff and you're like oh she shouldn't be in charge but okay at least we've got more women so uh yeah i think that uh, i loved when she said that phrase to me it really like stood out as a marker of like oh yeah that really is the balance of things
0: Yeah. And, you know, to something that Lily said a moment ago, I, it's funny, I came out in the same place and I tell people this all the time because I literally at the conference on my panel, I said, I, I am now in a place where I want to change the rules of the game and the, and the association's mission Is militant advocacy, right? Sometimes to the point, like literally where you see something, say something organization. But I will say that I also say that for the women who are playing the game right now, while the rules are broken, to Lily's point, why not try to be Serena? Like, if yes, should you be able to be an average or below average player and win? Just and, and that would make equality to men, hundred percent. But that's not the game that we're playing. So if you want to win now, this is what you have to. Lily's point: this is what you have to do now. And and it's not fair. But I tell people like you can choose to be a better player because you want to win, or it's totally fine. It's not worth winning, and just just do your life and be happy, and try to fix the rules of the game for the next generation. I will say that one of the things that Lily said that I also kind of want to like pick out on is that we are always inclusive and we encourage men to come to our events because of exactly that, working both sides. And I'm always excited and thrilled when men come because it's always an empathy building exercise. Or when I talked to male conference planners, I had a male conference planner, I put forward a woman and he said, oh, I don't know that she, she had the title but he said she looked too young and he wasn't sure if she was senior enough. And I said to him, I was like, but you frequently have their 20-something-year-old CEO who looks like a man-child speak. But he has the title and he looks young, but she has the title and she looks too young to speak. And he actually caught himself and was like, oh my gosh, I never noticed I did. You're right. It was such an interesting... And we have men that come to events. I have one guy that came to an event and we have facilitated networking and the guy was sitting at a table and another man was there and the other guy didn't follow the instructors, just launched into a thing, just started like explaining something in crypto. And the other gentleman came up to me afterward and said, is this what it's like for you at, at conferences and things like that? It's just like a man just sits there and just suddenly starts explaining things to you. And, and, and I looked at him, I said, does a man explain, does a man explain does a man splaining happen? Yes. <laughs> But the thing is, is that in your day-to-day life, if you don't see it, right, this is why I say, see something, say something, because so many men, it's unintentional. They don't see it. But the minute that you point it out to them, once they see it, they can't unsee it. And this guy was like, when I, he's like, I'm sitting here thinking of a lot of work meetings. I I see, like, I am seeing it differently now because he was the minority at a meeting of so many women And experiencing that was a huge thing. So the, so the importance of the empathy and the reason I bring it up is because I think it leads to one of the most important topics that I'm super passionate about, which is Tara, while you, while we talked about how men and the manosphere can absolutely be part of the problem, I think to Lily's point and something I feel strongly about they have to be and often are a huge part of the solution, right? It's why we are inclusive of men in the association, why they they were some of our earliest sponsors and supporters. I talk about male allyship all the time. I'm a a broken record about it. And I'm curious how you guys feel about it. Is it more, less, equally important? Lily, I know you touched on this. Uh, Tara, if if you have thoughts, I'd love to have them. But
2: I, I feel like I'm a broken record about male allyship. But uh, maybe, maybe I'm
0: alone in that. I don't
2: know. Yeah, I think it's super important. And I remember actually back in, I want to say it was like maybe 2017. So uh, Women of Silicon Roundabout did a conference. And one of the final speakers said, "Like look around the room. It's just women. And she was like, in the nicest possible way, this conference has been women complaining about problems to other women who already know the problems because they're women. And she was like, "Next year, I want every woman to bring a man with them." And I've seen conferences do similar things where they'll offer free tickets to men. Um, and I listen. I love a free conference ticket for staff, but I think for many like conferences where it is about kind of females in the space and they're very focused on getting women into crypto, you have to be pushing to get more men there because otherwise, it's women complaining to other women in a, a room of women, and that's never going to make a difference. So. Yeah, I think it's super duper important to have male allies to exactly as you said, to to change people's perspectives, approaches, open their eyes to these things, because that's the only way you're going to get change. And I can think of a number of like the, the problematic men that come to mind in crypto. Actually, the scary thing is a lot of them will say, oh, I really support women in crypto, really, like really for it. And then they do stuff and you're like, that is so unhelpful to, to me personally but other, other women in crypto. And I think the only way you can kind of get them past that stage of like the, you know, holding up the banner of like, woohoo, women in crypto to actually like helping is by getting them along to more events, educating them much more about the challenges, but also just, I think a lot of this comes down to exposure. They just need to see there are kick-ass women in the industry who understand the industry, who can raise a shed ton of money in a bear market. We've done incredible things to catch crypto criminals, as we kind of all have, who can speak super technically about things. And I'm actually at a conference today, and there's a whole bunch of women in the room. There's a whole bunch of women speaking. We've got, you know, maths formula on screen. Like it's super duper technical. And I wish more of the men that kind of weren't fully subscribed to the idea of women in crypto could see that. Because if they could see more of these amazing women, I think maybe that would change their perspective on things too. Yeah,
1: and I think also about changing perspective, we need to use a more targeted strategy. I guess that's that's worked for other people in the past. So so you can you can try to affect change by yelling and screaming and saying, This is wrong, you guys suck, you know, you you're all misogynist and toxic masculinity and all this stuff, right? But a lot of times this kind of approach that that only relies on this kind of activism, so to speak. Is not very effective because a lot of times it'll alienate the group that you're trying to convince, right? And they start feeling defensive. They actually get desensitized to the problem a lot of the t- a lot of the times. So, and I like to bring in one of my idols that I really respect is RBG, right? RBG is five foot negative hundred pound woman that on whose uh, shoulders we all stand today, and she was just absolutely incredible at changing people's minds. And she's a lawyer. And Amanda, just like you, right? She's a lawyer. She was a lawyer. And she knew how to argue. And she knew how to strategically change people's minds without just screaming, this is wrong, this is wrong. And I think she kind of used a three-pronged approach, which is she knew how to frame the issues to her audience. Framing it and making people understand it, if they don't understand it the way that you're presenting it, Right. So, so an example would be how she framed discrimination on the basis of sex or on the basis of gender. She actually changed the word sex for, for the word gender to be, I guess, more general. And um, and, and, she, and one of her first cases that was that kind of sprung up and caused a lot of the, the changes in legislature was actually discrimination against a man. Where those social security benefits that a man a widower didn't get because he was a man, because of the the way that the legislature was structured at the time. So she actually used that case to illustrate to the all white male judges right in the Supreme Court that this needs to change, that we shouldn't be discriminating on the basis of sex or the basis of gender. And so so framing the argument uh, is very important. Another thing that we can do is build relationships. And we as women know how to do that. I know you, I know you, you don't think that there's male and female qualities, but I think women do tend to be very good at, at uh, building relationships and building relationships. Same thing. RBG was friends with Justice Scalia. And even though they disagreed on a lot of the issues, but she still respected him and they respected each other. And it wasn't like an us versus them right? So just understanding the perspective on where the other party is coming from is is really important. And then the last stage is the Socratic method, which I love, right? It's basically asking questions to change someone's mind and framing questions in a way that forces people to reevaluate their belief systems and understand that they have certain biases. And this can be like, for example, one of the main biases in in VC is pattern matching. When you have, when you're an investor and you are uh, watching a pitch, if the person looks like Mark Zuckerberg, you are automatically are a lot more likely to invest in them just because they look like Mark Zuckerberg, you know, because you're, you you know, we are, our brains are naturally, yeah. uh, we have heuristics. Wired to short circuit for efficiency. Yeah. Right. It, yeah. yeah. We have heuristics, right. We have kind of boxes that we put things into that help us make decisions. And these heuristics are amazing because obviously you can't, uh, if we had to, every time we had to make a decision, we had to kind of gather information all from scratch, right? That would be extremely inefficient. So that's why we have these uh, heuristics that our brain uses. But unfortunately, that creates a lot of unconscious biases, right? So breaking down those biases and, and and making people understand that they have those biases, right? Just the fact that I'm looking at someone that looks like Mark Zuckerberg doesn't mean that they're go- they're going to be a good investment and they're going to be just as successful, right? So it's it's I think having that three pronged approach is very effective, and this is how RBG changed the world, I think, and that's that's how we can change the world in kind of a less aggressive manner. And uh, like I and I also like to give an example of the vegan movement you know, how the vegan movement is not very effective because they're just like screaming at the top of the lungs and deal tripping people saying, you know, you eat meat, you're, you know, a bad person, you're killing animals, et cetera, et cetera. It's not, it's not the best way to go about it. And it alienates a lot of people. But there is a guy, there is a, a vegan activist named Earthling Ed who uses the Socratic method. He literally goes out goes out to like campus, uh, campus, college campuses and just on the street And he uh, makes a statement in a banner and then he allows people to come and debate him. And it is incredible. You see somebody like, ah, you're a stupid vegan, you know, you're crazy. And then by the end of the discussion, they're like, oh, yeah, maybe you're right. You know, he uses these very empathetic questions. And based on the based on how the person responds to those questions, he just tweaks his next question to kind of make a, the person understand where he's coming from about the vegan movement. I would highly encourage, even if you you know don't care about veganism, whatever it is, just watch the way he debates with people. It's incredible. He has so much empathy. He has so much understanding for, for people's point of view. Only you could get me to watch a video that
0: advocated for veganism. You know, you know how much this girl loves her meat. Like, so I <laughs> Well, I will watch Earthling Ed just because I 100% agree with you. And it's something we do at the association all the time. I mean, I will say, I think people know because I say it exhaustively that I'm militant about the advocacy, but I really think militancy and aggressiveness are very different, right? So I think like going back, so I want to try to thread together some things that you said because we're kind of running out of time. But I love, I, I think a lot of, I think so much of what we said ends up on a similar page of Tatara's point. There's a toxic aspect, right? Of certain parts of the culture. Obviously not all men are doing this, but there are people who are taking good things and are doing them badly. Right. Or are doing them for their own purposes that we have to be really careful about. And we have to be really careful that we acknowledge that, yes, statistically, there are certain things that men do more. There are certain things that women do more. But at the end of the day, some of them are just traits and skills. And for those of you that are playing in a rigged game that want to be the best and want to win, to Lily's point, you're going to have to be better at getting some of those skills and traits that you might not statistically be the likely gender to have 100% agree. But then taking it all back to we would all benefit more and I 100% agree. And I think the association strives to do this with whether you're male or female, having the skill of empathy and not being confrontational in this, but having a Socratic discussion and questioning. And bringing nuance back to civilization, which has been unfortunately ripped out. And I think that that is all such good advice. And I love it because the original topic was, you know, decrypting gender disparity. And I think those are all fantastic suggestions. I know I'm going to take some of them back uh, to, the, to the association. Tara, I know it came up at Investor Summit that there was like one or two men in the room and how we all wanted to have more men there. So I will say to the men listening, to the women listening, get more men to listen to this, share it with your favorite man. Even if you don't know that he's an ally, I will say the number of men who come to our events, who have daughters, granddaughters, nieces, they want the world to be better for them, for their wives um, and I think they're some of our biggest supporters. So I will just end this on Lily, Tara. I can't think of two women who would have been better to have this discussion with. I appreciate all the incredible work that you guys are doing in this space. Not just incredible to have you for our inaugural episode, but to discuss such important topics with two people who are so in it. We want to say a huge thank you to our sponsor Bracewell LLP and everyone listening who hopefully came with open hearts and minds. Positive or negative, we welcome your feedback and we hope you'll rate us online. Let us know if you have comments, questions, or thoughts for future podcasts. For anyone who is interested in learning more about the association, our global events, or the initiatives we're working on to increase inclusion, check out our public LinkedIn page, our Twitter or Instagram pages at AWIC Global, or our webpage at www.womenincrypto.org, which is also where you can sign up and join. Thanks again for tuning in, and we hope to see you next time.